Good morning, Dr. Victoria Coleman. Good morning. What a pleasure it is to be able to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you so much for agreeing to this. Well, thank you. I'm honored to, to be asked. I appreciate you doing this. Well, as I mentioned, I'm doing this little project I call Origin Stories, where I get the opportunity to interview people I find fascinating, learn about their origin stories, I call it origin stories, and get to learn from them and then share this information with the wider world. Very How's cool. That, sound? that sounds wonderful. Thank you for now, doing it. I did send you some questions to ponder, but I'm going to ask you things in a slightly different order, just to have it kind of be organic. So tell me, Victoria, about what you do now and what pivot you made in your life to take this particular path. Ooh, that's a good one. Um... So what do I do now? That one should be easy to answer, but um, right now I'm, I'm working with, I'm working in the realm of biotech right now with a company and it's in the area of health. Most of everything I do, personal or professional, I think spins around health, healthcare, health promotion, uh, optimizing health. And so right now I'm doing some work with a company looking at bringing uh, something to consumers to be able to empower consumers to have control over their own health and be actively engaged in their health. And I think that's where I've always been attracted to things like that. Um, my background is I wanted to do something in healthcare and in trying to decide whether that was going to be medicine, what, what direction I was, going to, I was going to take, I really was attracted to how to empower other people to be involved in their health promotion versus maybe disease care. And that led me down a path into what we would call at the time complementary care as a, originally as a chiropractor. But that's all sort of morphed and moved. And I think when you ask what has happened that has maybe created pivots, there's several of them. Um, one of them was just working in with patients and seeing changes with lifestyle recommendations, simple things that led to adding nutraceuticals to my practice, which led to starting a company uh, in Canada to distribute quality nutraceuticals to those people. And then that morphed into medical education and teaching uh, and creating venues for doctors to learn about integrative ways to improve their patient's health. And then I've just in the last year moved away from that, from a formal um, position of employment. And I'm looking now for ways to be involved with exciting, innovative things that really, again, bring healthcare back to the patient's hands or the consumer's hands. I love that because I think we've spoken about this before, the difference between sick care or disease care and health care. 
and how you know we I think you and I have spoken as recent you emailed me as recent as yesterday that we are I'm older than you are but you get a bit long in the tooth and you realize you do not have the energy or desire or ability to change another person it has to be up to them so true so and, true and if people have tools i mean i've i've seen such a difference even with the advent of fitbits that people when they have something that they can measure i mean that's the key measuring start seeing where you started from measuring outcomes having some outcomes you're aiming for having the tools that help you make such a difference if people are engaged 100% and i think i think you said something really important there it's when people have the tools that doesn't mean healthcare doesn't have to be confusing how your body works you don't have to know every intricacy of mechanism you just have to be given some information and the tools to be able to take some self-responsibility and mm -hmm. feel empowered. And once you have information, then you feel more in control and not, and, and this is really apparent right now in our world with what we're dealing with. But when we feel like we understand things better, we feel a little better in control of what the future brings what that outcome can be. And that's always where I feel in healthcare we need to, to focus. It's a relationship. Just because I went to school and may understand some physiology doesn't mean I know exactly what an individual is going through and they're living in their own body and they need to take, I used to say 50-50 share in the, the journey of responsibility, but you know, it's really more 80-20. I'm 20% to make sure they have access to information, the tools, uh, keeping an eye for red flags, but they're 80% on the engagement of it and making it happen. And mm -hmm. I used to be, as you can probably, because I think we have similarities this way, think back to when we first graduate and you just, you're going to change the world. You're out there and you're ready. And of course, everybody wants to listen to me. Well, <laughs> that gets exhausting after a period of time and and you start to realize people are on their own journey and when something is the pivot for them and they're ready they are so powerful in their own outcome so mm -hmm. i think at this point i love to inspire people as best i can for them to look inside themselves and realize what they can do, how much control they have, and, and a little bit that they need to take responsibility. And I think we've made a bit of a, a mistake in how we've worked with healthcare and creating sort of this hierarchy where the individual, the doctor, whoever it is, is this grand all, know-all person, sometimes to the detriment where a patient fears them. And is fearful to have open conversation and ask questions. And maybe the internet's changed that a little and brought some things down to a, a different playing field. But I, I really think that that's where I gravitated at a very young age on how could I be involved in healthcare, but I wanted to be involved in a, in a situation where I could inspire and help people gain better health, optimize their health, and be very in charge of their health. And that led me down the path I took because 
to be honest, originally I loved the idea of nutrition. Nutrition was always a background uh, interest for me. I read about it. I, in my own way of my lifestyle, focused around healthy nutrition, and I thought it was a powerful tool. And I really thank um, a healthcare provider when I was just 18 years of age who said to me, if you want to go that route, do you see yourself working in a hospital setting as a dietitian, maybe working with patients who have complications? And it wasn't really my path. My path was, no, I actually would prefer to be working in a situation that was inspiring towards more optimal health. And, and so it led me what was the best vehicle to be able to do that and incorporate that as a key pillar in the way I would deliver healthcare. And that's what led me actually into chiropractic college, because I felt that form of health delivery had multiple spokes to it, exercise, nutrition, where I could spend time in those categories, working with patients. Mm. Well, I find that fascinating. Is there a, a model that even exists in the world currently that that you like or parts that you, if with your vision, if you could take pieces and parts and put things together and have a vision of a model that you think would be very optimal, what would it look like? If you could rule the world. <laughs> uh, um, I would love to say the care for mankind and mother earth. Um, as a whole, would be the first priority. Um, that would be, that would overstretch everything. That would be the, or the foundation to everything is care for environment, including um, our physical environment and our own personal health environment and for our neighbor and meaning obviously fellow person. So a, a fairness and equality to health care, uh, to information for everybody um, would be important. I think some of our roots way back um, into natural or traditional healing is very interesting. I think that we could benefit from some sort of, um, when I say access to care, a hybrid system that has uh, some payment and uh, that comes from government funded and some that comes from the individual that we have we can look and learn from other countries that do things similarly and, and do very well and have access to care um, for everybody and the ability to have access and almost be rewarded also for preventative measures that people want to incorporate in their world. Hmm. Um, but with the underlying theme that we as mankind, as we learn and science grows, we're probably a long way from fully understanding mother nature and everything that happens around us. So that respect has to be foundational to everything as well. Mm. If that makes sense. It does. If you were a word, Victoria, what would you be? Well, you're asking me and thank goodness you're not asking someone else because there could be different words that they would come up with. But mine's going to be, I think I'm not shy to say anymore, the word inspire. Hmm. Um, I've been told that I've been gifted with um, 
a little piece of jewelry from friends that had that on it. Um, and, and so I think I'd use inspiration, inspire. I think that's a word that I would be proud to say maybe is representative of how I try to live. Well, I would agree. I find you very inspiring. Thank you. Well, again, it has to have an open mind on the other side to, to uh, appreciate that and, and when you're spending time with someone to see that. But I think that is something I've been gifted with. And maybe that's just through communication. Maybe it's an energy. I don't know. Hmm. You know, back about the, um, the portion that could be government funding, that could be personal uh, uh, payment by the individual, I believe that the responsibility piece is so key. And if I go to, if I was to go to see a healthcare practitioner, like a physiotherapist, a chiropractor, I would pay. And if I go to my dentist, <clears throat> I pay. Now, clearly, I am cognizant of the fact that there are people who have different levels of uh, education and background and employment, and some of these things can be covered. I understand that. But even when I went to higher education, I worked and put myself through school. Granted, very different now in terms of tuition, and I think it's wonderful and marvelous if parents who believe in education can assist their children to have higher education. I'm not knocking that in any way. I didn't have that personally, but I've also seen where if everything is handed to a person, they may not have the same motivation to do a given thing. Whereas, for instance, going to university, if somebody pays for it, then you may not put your heart and soul into it. Whereas if you are paying for it out of your own pocket, you have a really vested interest to be there. And if you screw up, that's a big loss of money. So right. I think in my life, everything comes down to personal responsibility, finding the resilience, finding the resourcefulness to go after what you want and be willing to pay for it. Like Buckminster Fuller said, you can have anything you want in the world as long as you're willing to pay the price. I'm just right. a big believer in that philosophy. Right. So I agree with you. Right. And I think, I think it's interesting. I mean, to play devil's advocate, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I'm in the same boat of um, coming out of school with multiple student loans and things that took me my first 10 years in practice and work to pay down. And, and I appreciated my opportunity to be able to go. And I do believe that when we pay something or have some contribution towards our healthcare and being a, in a system that's a cash system for the type of healthcare I deliver, I think there is um, a level of appreciation of the individual and motivation. Uh, and I don't ever let cash be a barrier to an individual. So some contribution is a way of stating on, for them, an objective statement that they're saying, I commit to doing mm -hmm. something for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what that represents. The only place the devil's advocate I play when I look back and I look at some of the other societies that are post-secondary education is 
free and accessible for all members of their society. I think there's something to be said for that. I think an educated society as a whole doesn't mean it has to be highly, um, you know, the level of formal education can look differently uh, for the individual and colleges, university, trade schools, whatever it may look like. I think access to higher education, we could do far better in that and making that available. I mean, this could be a whole other topic we could go off on, but I do think it leads into, uh, for me, something you asked as one of your questions about what does fear represent? And to me, I answer that so quickly. Fear to me is lack of knowledge. It's lack of understanding of something. That creates fear. Mm. Once we understand something, we sort of demystify and the fear drops. And so what does that mean back to the education? I just feel like if we had greater opportunity for all individuals to have the opportunity to learn and however that looks I feel society as a whole benefits oh I agree um, and that you know in the cultures and countries where this is done uh, you know obviously that's done through taxation and there are pros and cons there are people who are going to be pro for or against that and there are a lot of people who don't like that concept um, right. but I remember one of my mentors Brian Tracy, who always, he, he did a talk on um, children should pay taxes. <laughs> and he did a, a little thing where he, um, he was in a store and this little kid came in to buy a chocolate bar and he said, um, you'll have to pay tax on that. And he went, I don't know what that is. And right. he said, well, you know, you're going to pay, pay for your chocolate bar, but you're going to pay a little bit extra. We call that taxes. Um, but, I, but I'm only seven. He said, well, the thing is, do you like to ride your bicycle? Yes. Do you like to ride it in the mud, in the dirt, or do you like to ride it on a sidewalk? A sidewalk? Who do you think makes those sidewalks? Why do you think we just don't live in mud? Because there are people that create those sidewalks. We have to pay those people. You would understand that to make those sidewalks. Therefore, you need to pay taxes. So I love that concept because we should. You right. know, the, the cultures that do pay higher taxes and have that create better educated, more healthy populations. It just sort of makes sense to me. Well, right. And that's, that's why looking at some of these countries, the Denmark, Finland, um, these if you look at their level of satisfaction in their life, um, it's very high. Now, the gap between the have and have not is not nearly what we experience maybe in our North American culture. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it is interesting, and I'm sure it could create a lot of controversy, and there's probably, of course, pros and cons to every piece of this. But in relating back to what you said, when it comes to information, fear, and a healthier, healthier being, then I would love to see something like that in my utopia in the world that I would run. I would love to have the ability for all people to be educated in whatever form they feel. So, I mean, formal education 
doesn't just mean university status. There's other things that um, private colleges, trade schools, whatever it may look like, it would be wonderful that that, that accessibility was for all. And that to, me, that to me creates a responsible and maybe, um, again, some of that fear is removed with more access and information. I love your thought on fear. It's like... Uh, shining the light on the monster when you when you know it and you can see and understand the fear dissipates to a great degree and isn't you can answer this quite quickly and, and it's you we see this with patients the most fearful time for them when they're having a, a health challenge that's quite serious the most fearful time isn't always the delivery of a diagnosis mm. it's it's prior. It's the, I don't know what's happening. I have, I'm, the, the, they're in a completely um, lack of control. They don't know what's going on. Once they know, and the fear factor of the unknown is removed, mm -hmm. then a plan of action can be formulated. And there seems to be, not in every case, but in a lot of cases, there, there's a piece of that that softens and, and that anxiety can slightly decline for that part of it, that fear piece of it. And then maybe there's other unknowns they're facing thereafter that can, can be challenging. But have you seen that as well, where once they know what they're dealing with, even if it's quite detrimental, there seems to be a moment of, or time of relief. I agree. I also think that people's fear is not the fear of, the unknown so much is their fear that they will not be able to handle the unknown, that it's a capability that right. they, won't, they won't be able to cope with it. So I think knowing, explaining it so the person understands all the facts. And then my job in many ways, I fit in, uh, in the weights. You know, when I developed this little breast cancer project, part of what I saw in interviewing people and scrubbing in on surgeries and just viewing it from afar was that there were huge weights involved. So you had an abnormality or you had a routine mammography and then you got a call back and then you waited. Then there was a test and then you waited and then there was right. a result. And then you waited, you waited to see a surgeon, you waited, waited, waited. And in between those weights, the anxiety mounts, and when, you, when you're in an anxious, fearful state, you really can't absorb a lot of information. Not at all, and the nervous system is in a sympathetic overdrive, and the healing right down to sleep uh, mm -hmm. is you will not move into the reparative sleep, restorative sleep, and it's just a complete, as you know, it um, can turn into a cycle that gets out of hand, but... You're right. Those wait times are representative of lack of, in, lack of knowledge. We don't know. So here's, we have to wait for this and then there's more fear. So for me that I think I ask myself, what, what are some of the things I fear? And it's probably fear is just lack of understanding. I'm a, a as you know, I'm always digging to understand things. That's just my nature. I like to know how things work and, and understand them. And anytime that I don't, I could, that's where I could feel a little anxiety. That doesn't mean that I have to be so predictable in the world laid out so I see everything. I think 
adaptability and the unknown is exciting. It's when we position ourselves to feel lack of control, I think, over our own input, then the fear can elevate. Mm-hmm. I think you used a great word there, adaptability. I think the ability to adapt, um, the ability to make changes and pivot, especially in light of COVID, I think companies and individuals have seen if you can be adaptable and, and um, have great pivot points, that to me is a real recipe for success. I agree. I think on every level, if you become so hardwired to, to certain things and can't handle those, those pivots, those needs to, to shift a little, then that is a very disruptive place for the nervous system. And, and that can lead to all kinds of problems. So I, I think the adaptability and resilience and all of those things, we have tried to have a very controlled environment most of our, I think, our lives in certain ways. Um, but we have forgotten the piece about staying adaptable and flexible and tolerant and all of those things. What galvanizes you? That's that's a tough one. I keep saying that. You have such good thought-provoking questions, so they're all kind of tough. Um, other than the fear, I found that one I could answer right away. What galvanizes me? I think, and when you say that, do you mean sort of what keeps me going, what keeps me excited? Yeah, I would say I'm looking more at... Um, Something that pulls you, that, uh, that has electricity to it. I believe movement, when people want to change, it is easy for us to stay comfortable. That's kind of the bane of our existence, comfort. Mm-hmm. And when you want to make a change, you, a lot of people will consult their past and say, you know, I'd like to make a change, and then your past is sort of like the union, and said, uh, uh, let's have a coffee and talk about that. Uh, you're fine right where you are. What are you thinking about? Mm-hmm. So in order to make change, big change, I think you have to have something that um, is future-oriented, is has an electric feel to it, an energy, because there has to be movement. In order to really change, you have to move out of maybe a comfort zone and move towards something that pulls you. What would that be for you? Wow, so you define that a lot easier for me now. When I think of that, you kind of said it. Um, And I don't know how to give it into one word or two, but galvanize me is movement in itself. So dynamic change is something I actually like. And I can admit to you after moving in my life 27 times, that's an example of, of somebody who desires change. So I guess that's something that I find attractive. When things get, I always say, when things get really easy, I tend to go stir the pot for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, when things get, and, and someone could have a heyday with this in psychology, I'm sure thinking there's something bigger to that, but I enjoy being uh, challenged, I suppose, constantly. And when things get 
fairly easy and routine and people might think it's time just to sip that glass of wine and look at all the the work that's been achieved i then feel i don't know it's not uncomfortable i feel hungry uh-huh. for something so moving that much i think what galvanizes me um change mm-hmm. dynamic dynamic change, change. so um I moved a lot as I when when I was a kid, and not as much as you went to a lot of schools. Why, pray tell, did you move twenty seven times? <laughs> so I had the I had the advantage of if you could see it that way. I didn't have to reintroduce myself to different schools over and over. I just have a really dynamic and creative mom who is constantly seeing the beauty in different physical structures, houses, and I have a little bit of that in me as well. I love to, I love to redo things. I, I think if I could secretly spend all my time as, as learning the ins and outs of architecture and decorating, that would probably be, that's my passion. That's something I love to do. So I think the move happened um, through my, my hard-earned genetics maternally, and that has been my mom who's always enjoyed redoing homes and improving and and trying new things and she's still like that to this day at 85 so she's pretty pretty awesome woman and I think I probably got that pretty innately from her so it's interesting when you're young and your parent or parents want to move you really don't have any say in it I mean you just you know pack your goodies up and you're on, you're, go, you're going. Right. So some people could be upset about it. Some people could say, as a way of coping, I'm not saying you did this, but as a way of coping, I think I did. As a way of coping, I said, I love to move. I think I love it. Therefore, I will keep doing it. I chose to say, because I had no choice in the matter, that I loved it. On the other hand, it made it hard, or has made it hard for me as I've aged, to settle down. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, because I, I'm always, I too love architecture. I, I'm, it's a real passion of mine. And I always, am, even though I'm very lucky to be where I am, I'm always envisioning in my mind how, what the idea, like what the perfect place would be and how I could change it and utilize technology or, or even have something that's moving like a vehicle that's moving. Right, right. Do you ever think about that? Sure do, because we, we built one. So exactly. Um, I, think, I think there is no perfect place. There, that doesn't exist. I, I think I thought that in the past. If I just do this, and if I just buy this century home, oh wait, if I just do this in a contemporary, what it what I believe now is that I'm a dynamic person. And so what works in the next year may change the following year. So there is no one thing to continue to just think I need to get to and achieve and I will be done there. I've now got good with it, that that is not me. And that instead it's more about experimentation, achieve, look, see, feel, and then be prepared because it's likely going to shift. And there will be a new thing I'm interested in. And one of them was uh, with my partner, who's a really skilled individual and 
has an engineering background. He built a off-grid expedition vehicle for us and, and to travel in, which is pretty incredible. And one of the things he said, well, when you get you know, that feeling you want to move again, he said, I just literally have to get in the front, turn the engine on and change the scene in the backyard for you drive down to somewhere. And I thought that's, that is really fun. And it doesn't mean that I, I mean, home is truly where you're closest for me to reaching family and friends, but we can do that now with technology and from so many wide reaching places that, that I don't know that home base has to necessarily be brick and mortar, Mm -hmm. but that's ask me any year. And, and, we're also talking about wouldn't it be fun to, to build a small, low-carbon footprint, completely sustainable off-grid home that we can have as a home base now. I mean, this, this is changing all the time, and I'm inspired by the generation younger than me that seem to be more in tune to that than we are or I am, and, and I'm learning from them, and now I'm watching all kinds of interesting YouTube videos on people looking to create a a smaller footprint and have some responsibility to the environment. And so I congratulate the, the generations coming up. Can you tell me about your experience of your new ride? Because yeah. I spoke to your partner who is very interesting to talk to and how he built this from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. And could you tell me about your experience? Yes. Um, Started out with, uh, he's always loved the outdoors and been a camper and, and has had, he's from England and he's had many different um, rigs from your rooftop tent to a Winnebago to trailers to all kinds of different things. And, and we decided we wanted some mobility and fun and adventure in our lives. So we, we bought an Airstream that was a 28 foot big, beautiful Airstream and it was fun. And we enjoyed that for, for two years. And but really what it got down to is we love to be able to get to places that are a little more far reaching, things that we're not needing to plug in, things that we needed high clearance to be able to get to. We wanted to be self-sufficient through solar and composting toilet and those sort of things. So he envisioned all this and purchased uh, a truck and it was a, a Fuso chassis and he built, had a box put on the back and he built the interior to this wonderful living space that we have to be able to go explore. And we did some of that just before COVID hit. We were down in the Southwest and had some fun and some beautiful settings. And we hope to do more with that. And he's able to work on the road. And I envision being able to meet more people and learn more in the realm of health and health delivery while I'm on the road. Wow. And this is, could you be in a cold place in this rig? We could go up to the Arctic. We could go to, to South America. It's adaptable for all settings um, and wow. environments. So we're, we're quite lucky with how he, how he built that. Now, was this your, are you a camper? Are you a wild <laughs> tent kind of a gal? No. So <laughs> maybe growing up, you know, family of six, resources were tight. We grew up camping. So I think a lot of us have gone through that. And then you reach your 20s and 30s and decide that camping, as long as it had a, a nice hot bath and things at the end of the road were the way to go. And that became the hotel. 
And I moved sort of into that thinking for quite some time. And I think now as I enter this stage of my life, back to basics, simplicity and nature has really been more appealing. So now I've reconnected with being in the in the outdoors, but I'm not going to lie. I need my creature comforts. I did a trip last year for, for six days in Utah on the green river. And it was uh, right out of a canoe with river camping in a tent. And there were some beautiful moments, but there were a lot of moments where I now appreciate the, this expedition vehicle that has a beautiful bed and comforter and, and things like that. And so I think I've, somewhere morphed in between, but I'm, I'm probably not so great for long-term on my back in a tent out in the wild nature. Mm, because you're a tall woman, your partner's tall, I would think this would have to be a, a good-sized vehicle. It's fairly, it, it looks more overwhelming than it actually is. I mean, it's 22 feet from the front of the, the bumper to the back, so it's not overly large, but it is uh, does have a lot of clearance for your head, so you, you don't feel cramped inside of it. You feel spacious, and it's beautifully decorated in all white and a gloss finish. You feel like you're in a, a really wonderful place that reflects the outside, really, on through the inside with big windows, and so it's quite, it's quite nice. Hmm. When you think of doing like an off-grid home, would you do something like prefab? That's, that's so interesting you say that. We're looking at a lot of different uh, companies out there. A lot of this has been done in Europe for a long period of time. And I think there's been a prefab sort of um, negative bias for a while that these, and maybe rightly so in the past. And I think they've come around to some really good solutions, good in quality, good in how they can um, survive our environment. Um, th I think they've come a long way. So yes, I have been looking at some of the prefabs that are out there. Hmm, I looked at a company out of the States. Mind you, they're in the Southwest. It's called Turkel. I don't know. Oh, it's okay. interesting conversations. But again, I don't know how adaptable that is to the Canadian environment, right? Because it's basically in the Southwest. But some of these, th they're absolutely beautiful. And oh, and we have some good solutions right out of Quebec. Um, that's BC. the other thing. Yeah, and they, they've got the experience with our climate and, um, and they're Canadian, which is a nice, nice thing if that's important to you. And, and I think that you want to look where they've had experience they're drawing from, whether that's from some of the German, where a lot of these um, companies have started way, way back with prefab and, and being able to adapt to the climate. So... I think there's a lot of options and we're going to see a lot more. And I do think with COVID, what you talked about when you asked me about the camping, and I think we're going to see a wonderful return to people looking for ways to simplify their travel, be a little more connected to, to nature, not necessarily jumping on planes and traveling the long distances. I think there will be a bit of a, obviously, there's going to be a shrinkage in that area, but a growth in the area. And I think the Canadian environment is just beautiful for that. Hmm. Can you tell me what you are working on or what your ideas are with this biotech company you're working with? Oh, I'd, I'd love to. I, I love talking about that. The company, um, wonderful company is called Verve uh, Tech and they are 
They've been working for a couple of years. So this is prior to the COVID situation, but they've been working on a home biochemistry testing kit that could be your system in your home. So this would be in-home, consumer-friendly, non-skill use. So you don't have to be somebody to understand, you know, with training in laboratory tech or anything in that realm to be able to use it. And this is just to be enabling people to do some of their own biochemistry testing and use those results within 15 minutes to be able to have make action based on that. So for instance, let's say you wanted to test your vitamin D level. You want to test versus guess. And you might want to look at that before embracing a strategy of supplementation. You want to know what your levels are or your cholesterol or as we've had to pivot slightly, do you have antibody or antigen to COVID? Mm -hmm. um, this is an area obviously of great interest right now and is um, something that is added to, to the playlist of what we're looking at. But really, it's about, again, bringing healthcare back into the hands, literally, of individuals and consumers, being able to to find um, different markers and that will help direct us to either optimizing our health or perhaps it's something we see and we're not sure of, but we're able to upload and share with our doctors and they can see in real time, maybe things are shifting in our health that we need to deal with immediately. So I sense it being able to save healthcare dollars, be proactive in engaging the consumer better communication and information with our docs or healthcare providers. And, and one of the things that this company has been able to do that has been a barrier historically in the past is they've been able to isolate blood or separate blood plasma from a small volume so that it would be available for further analytics. Whereas in the past, that's a very, that's not been done and that has to be done um, to get a, a appropriate yield or amount of volume would have to be done through other methodology that typically requires a lab. Now, how close would this company be to realizing this dream and getting it out into the hands of the populace? A great question and, and one that's asked uh, constantly within our team working around this. So probably in all reality to the consumer, it would be 12 months to 18 months that this could be sitting in, in people's homes. And that's, that's a very, that's still a very good time frame. That's, if people are thinking about immediate need now, we also have to understand that these things are going to be probably present, different challenges for us, other viruses, other COVID situations. And if we don't hit this exact timing, we certainly will be prepped for, for the next challenge. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the key is the next challenge. Right. Mm -hmm. So this sounds so exciting. It is. It's fun. It's exciting. It's back to, like you asked me, I guess, different things that galvanize. I think anytime we can empower consumers in their own health direction, that excites me. Now, is the 12 to 18 months schedule, um, is that based, uh, could it be faster with more money input or is there some, what is the barrier that exists right now? 
that's a that's a great question and has been one again that I've presented with to the team also is that a major barrier and it's it's not it's helpful and may accelerate things slightly but that likely isn't the biggest barrier which I'm happy to say it could it could probably accelerate slightly but we're still probably looking a year out before the technology has been fully validated um okay and and really ensuring sort of what they call um, a non-inferiority um, testing to make sure that we are at par to the laboratory-style testing and maybe even uh, superior to some of that for accuracy, sensitivity, specificity. So some of those take time from validation and trials mm -hmm. and things like that. I understand. So what you're telling me, though, is the sky could be the limit. It could be vitamin D, it could be cholesterol, it could be antibody, antigen, it could be certain markers, but it could also be, could it be, could this be enlarged? Yes, yeah, so I think that is, when we look down the road, you have to have your starting point, but what, what are the spin-offs that might occur? And that may be different medium in there, whether it's saliva, urine, mm -hmm. um, other, other forms of testing that could be utilized in such a home testing device and opens the doors for all kinds of things. And we've seen this incredible need for something to address a rapid testing. So we're not waiting for results. This has definitely been a situation highlighted with COVID. And that is there the, the accuracy uh, that we require that we can rely on that that's really important. And how can we do this in isolation? How can we do this as individuals without putting ourselves at risk or anybody else in the community at risk? And how do we access to far-reaching isolated communities that can't get to centralized areas? So this is, this is going to really be able to empower and, and check many boxes that, we've, that have been highlighted due to COVID-19. Mm. Oh, that is... Uh... I love that. What about, what are your thoughts on genetic testing? Genetic testing is um, an area of incredible interest to me, and I've been doing some of uh, the genomics work, and I think it's the next blood test of the, I don't even want to say of the future, because the future is now. So it's, it's another tool in the toolbox for individuals to have a look inside and see what are the things that we can manipulate that are things that through lifestyle we can make a change to in our genetic expression that improve our health? And we're learning this is just a field that's expanding daily. And, and the way I try to best position this to people is to say if they, if they have this idea or notion in their brain that, ooh, I don't want to know about my genetics. I don't want to, I don't want to know if I am at risk for something. And what I think we've come to understand is that just because you possess the genetics or the blueprint, the expression of that is not guaranteed. So mm -hmm. you can manipulate and have the ability to influence. So the really rudimentary way of description is to me, it's like bullets in a gun and your genetics are those bullets. But whether that trigger pulls is everything that washes over those genetics, your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And just because you possess a certain 
tendency, what flips that light switch on or off or pulls that trigger in the gun to fire that bullet may be very much something you can have some control over through lifestyle measures. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on hormone therapy? That's a good one too, because I've come full circle on that one. Back when the women's um, health initiative was out, the women's health study back, I think we were 2000 and, well, I can't remember the date now, early 2000s, we were scared away from the idea of hormone replacement therapy. And I think there's valid reasons why we were, but we have to look at how the studies were conducted, forms that are used. Um, But I'm pro used in the right way and used with information before you embark on that, that you have enough information. How do you manage hormones in your body? Maybe that's a good thing to look at in genetics and your detox pathways and, and how do you metabolize some of these things. But, you know, it's interesting. We've come to a point where it's okay to replace cataracts and get knee replacements because we want to live vitally and live longer. And well, hormone replacement is another possibility to consider, but it's a personalized medicine conversation. It's, you need to know all the facts and have the right information in front of you. Hmm, I agree. What about if we were having this conversation three years from today, May 8, 2023, and you were looking back over these past three years, what needs to change in your personal, professional life for you to be happy with your progress? Okay, I think that I can't separate necessarily my personal and my professional because I think I'm so intertwined in those things. Um, So what would have to change? I think at this point I would like to have a better connection to my environment. I see that seems to have sparked some interest for me right now, maybe with the truck build, maybe with all the challenges we've seen in the last few months. I really would like to be able to work and live in harmony better with our our environment, understand how to tap into that a little better than I have in the past. I think that's a big one for me right now. I find you very fascinating. What are your thoughts on, I suppose, we've really talked about this, but the concept of life by design versus default. Hmm. So I've learned something recently. I was reading the book, The Great Work of Your Life, I think it was. And so life by default or life by design, I'd love to say, well, you can design whatever you want and live it. That's just whatever you want. The world's your oyster, do it. I've come to the conclusion as an example, if I wanted to be a singer, I'm fairly sure I would fail miserably at that because I'm challenged with happy birthday. I mean, this is not my skill set. So the idea that you, we want to tell people you can be anything you want, I think the true answer to that is we have gifts within us. And part of our job, duty, whatever it may be on this earth, on this go, 
is that where to flourish and grow that gift and be fabulous at it. And, and so therefore I don't think, and I don't think it's all, so I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's default. I don't think you're, this is the way it is. And this is how you live. And this is, there's no left or right to it. It's just, that's the way it's going to go. And then life by design, I think we'd all love certain things, but we also need to see where we flourish best. And we can then open all kinds of doors and make things happen and think about what you want to bring about in the areas that resonate with us. But they, but be, be practical to a point, if you know what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, I'm just saying I think we have to be, we're gifted with something and part of the journey is to figure that out. Well, I'm reading an interesting book by a, by a woman named Jennifer Blanchard. And in the book, she basically said that you should try things out before you commit. So she gave an example of a man who, from the time he was young, wanted to live on a houseboat. He was in a community where there were other houseboats, and he just had this dream, and he worked toward it, and he planned, and he saved. And when he was about 60, he bought this houseboat only to find, to his great chagrin and disappointment, that in about 15 minutes he became seasick. <laughs> oh, no. And she said, wouldn't it have been better, in retrospect, had he rented a houseboat, spent a week on a houseboat, gone on a trip on a boat? But he thought this was for him. And she, she too, had wanted to be a jewelry designer, she loved making jewelry. She took courses. She became a jewelry designer and she got her first commission and she sat down and procrastinated, didn't do it, didn't do it, and realized she hated to do it for money. She liked to do it for fun. Right. And had she tried that out, she might not have spent so many years going in this direction. So what would you like if you had something that you really are pulled toward, is there something you'd like to try out before you fully committed? I think it comes back to design. I love design. I would love maybe to be in some format. It doesn't have to be an architect, but maybe working with, a group that's involved in design, decor. Maybe it's somewhere, maybe that will be something I end up, but it's going to be in the area of off-grid and sustainable. I don't know, but I think that's something I am gravitating and love. Would I go and invest all the schooling and in time towards that, thinking I'm going to come out as, not sure that that's me. So that's an example of where wouldn't it be fun to be able to play in it? And maybe I've played in it a little bit, but, and realized it's not a perfect fit for me to be a sustainable job. I don't know. Hmm. Because you mentioned at the very beginning, you created a company. You, you used nutraceuticals. And then you mentioned just as a little aside, I created a company. Can you tell me about that? Well, and I should be probably clear, I created a distribution um, company in Canada of existing product that was in the U.S. but not 
accessible to, to the Canadian market. So in a need, which is where it really is the mother of invention, right? So mm-hmm. in the need of wanting to, to get these products, because I was importing them just for my own use with a broker and using them in my, my practice and seeing such significant changes in people that I thought this is, should be available to everybody. And it was directed towards healthcare providers, but it should be available to all the healthcare providers. So you're right. It was a matter of, okay, how do I do that? And it just, through the right partnerships and support, um, created, created a distribution company and, and did that for quite a few years. So it kind of happened by accident. It wasn't the intention. I never thought in a million years, oh, I don't have an MBA and I wasn't about to even dream of creating a company that was involved in distribution. That was all by accident. Hmm. But once again, life is, this is a, another of my mentors. He always says it's, it's who, not how. Hmm. When you want to do something, people think, well, how am I going to do that? And how will I, with my skill set, do blah, blah, blah. But it's really, who do I know? Who can I connect with? Who can I partner with that may have this information? And we put my skill set together with your skill set, together with Dawn's skill set, together with Catherine's skill set to create something. I love when that. We do, when we think about other, using other people and their skills, it's not as daunting because there is so little that I know. It's such a small little bit but I have around me a unique ability team that I could go to and say, I'm thinking of doing this. What are your thoughts? And they will inevitably say, well, talk to Dr. Victoria Coleman because she knows how to do that. So really it's, it's who not how for me now. And I love that because isn't that basically a collaboration? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's saying, it's letting go of the ego of, I can do this. It's more about how can I flourish with the right support and information and those who know more than me, maybe, or add a piece that I'm weak at and really make this take off. So I love that because that talks community. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. Um, important. I'm, I'm very big on visualization. I remember the only time, so frustrating to me, the only time I've ever um, had incredible clarity about what I wanted to do, it was a wonderful feeling, was um, when I decided to go to medical school because I had zero support from my family and relationship and friends. And, uh, but I had this thing in my mind that I was going to do it. And so I decided since I was on my own, I was going to proceed. I knew I was going to do it. I just, I just had this inner knowing. I walked every day visualizing my, my day of working in an office. Now I couldn't imagine what it was like because I wasn't even in medical school, but I knew that I would be in an office. I knew I would be by myself. So I walked for an hour to two hours every day and I put blinders on. I could not be deterred from my vision. 
And of course, years and years and years passed. And then I looked back and went, oh my gosh. That, but that sense of clarity um, and visualization, that's why I was interested in sports psychology, not being one, but how athletes used visualization for their outcome. And it was like I had this little moment in my life where I had perfect clarity. I knew exactly what to do. And I've never had it since. What do you think about visualization? I think it's extremely powerful. And I think that you can just, you just have to read the book. I think it's called um, You Are Placebo, Joe Dispenza. I believe it's the author of that. And um, so he was in a very, very severe accident. And he spent much of his recuperative time and with, with multiple spinal injury. And he just every day visualized his body healing. And it was phenomenal what happened to him. So the book is definitely worth, worth reading. So I think visualization is incredible. I'm a firm believer in what we think about. And when we think, we tend to have vision in our brain. If you close your eyes and think of an orange, you're going to see an orange. Mm-hmm. So what we think about, we have the power to bring about to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's necessary. And I think moments of clarity where you've, you see something and you go for it and you know that, that's that's wonderful and i think it's easier when no i'm not sure what your take is on this but when we're younger i don't know if that's not a bit easier and as we get older there's so many different things that are inputs to us experiences to draw on that nailing down just one thing becomes a little bit harder if you know what i mean like if if i i love that you said you visualized your practice and i think your practice reflects you beautifully. And it's an example of just because, for instance, a medical doctor, family physician usually is in this setting with this office, with this type of receptionist, and they play this music and have these magazines on their table. And this is how it's so lovely to meet people that I've walked into offices with these beautiful uh, rugs from I don't know where hanging on the wall and reflection of the individual providing the healthcare there not a cookie cutter, this is how it goes. They've envisioned what they wanted and they deliver probably better care because they're authentic to what their true vision of what they wanted to do is happening. I think that gets messed up a little bit with trying to fit the norm. So I love that your environment reflects so much of who you are and where you are. And I do think visualizing that is important. And I think anyone looking to say, what am I going to do? What's my next step? Sit back and, and ask yourself, what does my perfect day look like? What time do I get up? Am I an early bird or do I work starting at noon because I ease into my day? Or look at what it is and don't try to find a job that fits that. Instead, whatever you find exciting, just make it fit into the vision you just had. Hmm. What's next for you? Because right now you're working with this in this exciting company that has a vision and you're in everything is working toward a desired outcome. So, you know, with time, that vision will be realized and it will be totally exciting. But what what other things are fascinating you and interesting got, got your interest right now that you're working on? Um, I think it's going to still be 
focused around consumer patient empowerment um, for health improvement. Um, I think it's going to be whether it's through a company and, and bringing this message. I think this is a, another vehicle to be able to teach. I think at heart I'm a teacher and to be able to teach people how to become engaged in their healthcare. And if this uh, testing device is one of those door openers to be able to, to do this, then I want to continue doing that. I love to, to lecture or speak. I don't like to say it as lecture. I love to be teaching and, and speaking to groups. That's something I really enjoy. So I would love to see the ability to, to share information that I've had time to accumulate and experience to accumulate with others in whatever form that looks like. And, and I think I'll probably want to build someday this off-grid house. I love it. So let's say that there was a topic you'd like to teach on. Are you set up, are you interested, say a bunch of patients wanted to listen to something you did, see you talk, use a tool to describe, are you set up to do that? I th yeah, I think everybody is right now, thanks to tech, but I certainly, I certainly am. Um, able to do that and whether you engage through through podcasting blogging i mean i love all of the mediums i also love the idea of being able to to meet which at this point isn't on the radar rate right soon but share of of energy is really important physically too i think so mm -hmm. i think all those mediums but yes i'm i'm certainly able to reach out and and share my ideas and and do that through the the mediums we have right now, whether again, that's like we're doing right now or, or blogging, any of those are, are available. Hmm. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like people to know? I, I think in this COVID situation, I always say it's the elephant in the room. Do we talk about it or not? But some of us are getting tired of it being the, the main topic of the day and I get that too but I think I've talked to several people in the last few months and what I'm observing is that I seem to be hearing more positives than negatives now I say that with the caveat that uh, whether I'm fortunate enough or how that pans out that these individuals aren't necessarily people losing jobs they're not ill and they're not in a situation of struggling to pay rent and put food on the table because those are real concerns and those are, those are tough. But some of the people I've asked about how things have affected them, I love when people are looking at the positives, um, connection with the environment. Um, do we need to slow down a little to be able to hear more and be more creative and hear a little bit of our own voice. So has, has this slowing down for not everybody, but a lot of the world created space we needed to think a bit, think about what we're going to do when this is over. Maybe it's a change in direction of our job. Um, whatever it may be that there's, there seems to be this moment that they can find the positive out of what's happened 
And maybe that will help fuel change for them that's incredibly positive down the road. Mm-hmm. Well, I, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, uh, that I've written down was the learnings you've had from COVID. Mm-hmm. So have you found that you have experienced what you just described? I get 100%. I think for myself, who has been used to a great deal of stimuli and noise, not noises and loud noise, noises and just my own busy, busy. Um, sometimes I feel like what I haven't been able to do is have really strong commitment to one thing because I'm sort of bouncing. I like the idea of, well, I'll go into, I live in, in Bayfield, Ontario, so I'll just pop into the city and I'll run and do this because I, that's what I do. But now that that's been slowed up, I feel like I've come to better acceptance with enjoyment of, mm. of less, less choice, less noise. I notice birds more. I, mm. Things that I think, am I noticing them more? Are they around more? Who knows? But I, that's been my takeaway is that um, I don't certainly wish this for, for long term. And, but if we're going to pull out some of the positives, I would say that that for me is that slowing down and removing some noise allows a little more creativity. I agree. And this project that I've been mulling over, which is just, I love doing this. I love talking to exciting, fascinating people that are, that, you know, cause me to think and be curious and just, uh, I love this. I would not have even done this and had the time without COVID. I just, you know, was working putting one foot in front of the other. And then when I wasn't working, I was recuperating or I was, you know, reading or doing something else because I was always in motion. Right. And I think that this is an opportunity to assess what those talents you have and what do you need to do going forward to, to keep cultivating those and not step back on the treadmill. There's nothing wrong with being busy and hitting high gear. It's just when we forget to step off and really look to, to check in with ourselves and make sure we're on that path that we were joyful in because it's mm-hmm. sure darn easy to get stuck on high gear and go and just not make space for maybe some of the, the change needed. Mm-hmm. You and know, I think it's I cool this- you're doing this and I love that you're, you're taking the time because it obviously fulfills a lot of your own curiosities and, talents of of communicating with people you're so right though about noticing things i I went for a walk and it was sort of a misty um mist it was an evening kind of a misty evening and i walked through victoria park and i've been studying neurology and i suddenly looked at the trees and it was kind of an interesting thing and i thought isn't it interesting that the nerve cells the neurons when you think about it it's like Um, the trunk of a tree with the roots being the dendrites, you know, and then the top, the, you know, there's like in a a typical neuron, 
And I was walking through Victoria Park in this misty night. The trees looked to me stunning. I really never noticed trees before. And I thought, it's kind of interesting if I was to flip it around and look at trees with their branches, they could be like the dendrites with their cell body in deep in the earth, deep in Mother Earth, and everything walking on the surface, like me, we are little mini cells that assist the neurons. I mean, there are cells that help the neurons, there are cells that, you know, take care of the neurons and administer different things to them. And I thought, this is really what life is like. If we could realize that we are a linked community, we all interact. And if we don't take care of our environment and our trees, they really are the nerve cells. If we don't do that, everything is runs afoul. It was just the most interesting thing <clears throat> that I experienced. I, I think and that's, I, I, yeah, I love that because it sounds like you're connecting to your environment. And I never had before. I'm kind of a, give me, um, I'm an inside girl. Mm -hmm. I'm an inside girl. So for me to notice those things, it was quite, yeah, it was a really interesting moment. Well, I wondered because we're in an area where we have pure white squirrels up here. And it's oh. kind of a fun thing if you get to see one. But I noticed, it was one week, I think there were four of them that I saw, which is not typical. And I asked myself, wow, there's so many more white squirrels. And then I sat back and said, or have they always been there? And I've just now taken the time to really sit back, that there is some time and space in my world to sit back. And I've just noticed them. They've been mm -hmm. there all the time. So I don't know that there's a, an answer to that. And same with your tree example. Have they always looked at that way and been that way? Or are they changing? with the environmental changes. Who knows? Mm -hmm. I, uh, I found it to be a fascinating time. And just like when I was a kid and I didn't really have any choice, I was moving. And so I started to learn to love moving. Um, you know, this happened and I'm not going, I'm just going to adapt. There's no sense fighting it. I can't say, I will stand on the street and scream until COVID goes away. Right. You know, it's pointless. Right. You got to roll with it. And what can you, then that's that whole back to resiliency or adaptation to mm -hmm. what's happening around us. And what can we, what can we pull out of it that's going to be a positive for us versus mm -hmm. doesn't mean we don't recognize what some of the negatives, but, but what are we going to pull positive? Mm -hmm. And it's the marvel of, how viruses, which are not cells, can, um, they, and so they need hosts to replicate, they can invade humans, animals, plants, other bacteria, and they will do whatever it takes to spread themselves around and propagate. And they will adapt and mutate and change. Um, and that is their success. I mean, so if you look at it from a, um, design uh, viewpoint, they're quite fascinating. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It is. The world is fascinating if, if we step back and realize we might be at the top of the food chain, so we think, 
but there's everything around us going through adaptation, similar, similar things in different ways. And it's, we would be arrogant to think it's not. That's true. That is so true. You are such a delight to speak to. And so are you. Shucks. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Well, thank you. I really appreciate this time and uh, keep doing what you're doing. You're a fabulous woman who's um, looking after people and inspiring. And I'm really grateful that we had this time. Oh, and ditto. And you've made a real impact on me. As I said to you, uh, you are like a shot of adrenaline. <laughs> I just went right out and ate a bunch of protein. Oh, that was great. <laughs> I'm so pleased. Uh, Thank you for talking with me. Thank you, Annette. Have you have a wonderful, wonderful day. And you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.